Hey, I'm Daniel Colburn. And I'm Caleb Porzio. Welcome to do 20% time where two coworkers discuss one programming topic every Friday for less than 20 minutes. Very good. Very good. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Daniel. It's been a while. It has been so long. We've done so many things. Oh, I man. was out of town for my sister's wedding, and then, yeah, just I, one thing, and then one another thing, thing and then another thing. And then I was sick last week, and I'm still sick, and I don't have a mute on QuickTime, so I might have to just do the old cough behind the mic thing. <laughs> um, but I got that sick, deep voice, so that'll, mm, you know. That, it'll make my EQing easier. Sweet. Get the bass just built um, in. Oh, natural. Yeah, just get it right there. You don't even need to bump it. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. <sighs> Oh, cool. yeah. What are we talking about? What are we going to talk about? Let's talk about, uh, I got a thing. Okay, uh, it's a, a thing. small thing, but it's an architecture thing. Uh, we just uh, just had a lovely discussion with some devs, and uh, it was just one of those good discussions where, where you're just hashing out. Everybody came to the table with a bias, and everybody had an idea of how this thing should be done, and... You know, it's like, how quickly can you get to the root of the difference and decide on like what things matter, what things don't and what thing, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's good. And I I enjoy that experience a lot. And then nice. once you identify what your biases are, you can put those aside and those are variables. And then you can actually focus on like real life things like you kind of categorize it like you, you categorize like, OK, here's here's because I like the the idea of this. Here's. Uh, like, um, here's because I have a list of rules in my head and they don't, they're not rooted in real life, but they're just my, the rules. And then here's the actual real life things that matter, you know? Um, so anyway, I'm talking high level. Let's get to it. So here's the thing. I'm working in a microservice and I'm calling on another microservice for a thing. And I, I interact with this. I'm pretty much the front end for this back end microservice. So, um, and, and everything's good. This and this is the one actually like a bunch of episodes back where we were talking about using apiary to be like in its mock endpoint. So we would have these like API specs and we would both right. you know write to them and I would implement my feature with the mock endpoint from apiary. This is that service and sure. so the same service. So this is funny because this is how software works and you, you can actually track it in the show. Now we're to the mm-hmm. point where that service is kind of donezo and there's V2 okay. of that service. Um, V2. V2. So, yeah. So, so basically, uh, the there platform was like, just keeps on growing. Yep. <laughs> There's like a meeting where we're like, okay, uh, they're like, we're going to have to switch this V2 implementation. Caleb, how much work is this going to take in your service? What are our options? Blah, blah, blah. The, the trick is, is that it's not like we just are doing a, a hot swap. Like we're just going, okay, we're changing our implement, implementation to V2. We're going to make a pull request and get it through. It's that some we're going to like white glove specific users into the V2 stuff because it's it's kind of like a different uh-huh. implementation. But you know, is the is the API spec the same or is the API spec changing? Right. So the API spec is changing. OK. Um, and that's another thing that that was just a given when I came into the conversation. That's something I don't know. It's possible that that had to happen. It's also possible that the people building it said, uh, Let's do no, two things at the same time. Let's do two things at the same time. It's possible that they said, let's say that adapting their or maintaining that contract would have been dirty or something. Like they maybe maybe that service. This is all speculation, but maybe the people who built that service said, no. If we maintained the original API spec, we would have to know too much about another system. You know, something like that. It might be a. Mm-hmm. It's this. This is. I'm just sort of. I don't know. Divulging on the uh, the microservice culture. Where you have like, you don't mm-hmm. know and you can decide to keep your scope to something, but really you're just passing that knowledge off to someone else, you know? So I don't know. So there's just- a phrase that I, there's a phrase I've learned recently cause I've been playing a lot of chess. Um, and the phrase that I learned in watching all of these videos is thematic move. Okay. Um, and so what that means is like when you make a move in chess that like advances the general theme, like depending on what opening you play. Like you, your game has kind of a theme, okay, you know, right. it could be a certain square or it could be a certain series of moves that you're trying to get to. Um, and a thematic move is any move that like advances the theme, right? 
Okay. Yep. So right. the thematic, it feels like the thematic move for a microservice architecture here would be to build another service that translates either the <laughs> old funny. API spec into the new API spec, right? Or translates the new API spec backwards to the old API spec, then migrate a bunch of users, then kill that service. Yep. Yep. That that could be a thematic move. That fortunately would be recognized as ludicrous because <laughs> <laughs> but apparently in some settings that's not the case i was uh one of the guys on our team he's uh he's a node guy and he comes from node land and like the the company he came from he because i'm always whining about microservices and he's like he's like dude you don't even know he's like what we have here you don't even get it he's like over in like you know wherever he came from i mean they're just popping him up like left and right like Anything you do as a microservice, and anytime you refuse to do that, it's like wrong and frowned upon. And uh, anyway, um, yeah, but that's okay. The, but yeah, here's here's the reason I brought up that thematic move. Right, is that it feels like changing the API structure at the same time that you're like spinning down v1 of a service and spinning up v2 of a service, mm-hmm. and like migrating users. Mm-hmm is uh handling too many things at the same time so i would if i were you guys i would try and like handle just one of those things like can we change the api structure and keep everyone on the same right v1 that they're on yeah and then migrate them to v2 once we have a uniform api structure between the two (laughs) or can we migrate everyone with the existing api structure and then change the api structure right make the change easy then make the easy change then make the easy change isolate or in this case the isolate the change changes. right i love it um let's think i believe that's an impossibility right now there's no definite phase out it's probably going to phase out but like hmm i'm trying to think yeah i mean that that's possible i think but okay here's why i brought up that thing about the other service let's say that the person who's let's say i, I don't know the person who's who's doing the other service um, we should come up with names for this. Let, let's say I'm working on uh football service and that person's working on baseball service. Does that work? So sure. A person on baseball service is saying, okay, we need to upgrade this whole system, but we don't want to impose a change on somebody. So we'll keep the contract the same. So no other microservice will have to make any change to accommodate the baseball service. But they go, wait, with this new system, we need access to a new piece of data that we should put into the endpoint. And then maybe mm-hmm. there's an argument between two people that are going, we'll just change the endpoint and tell all the other services to pass us this new thing. And then they go, no, we want to keep the contract the same. And then the other person says, but that's not our concern. You would have to, you would have to talk to a whole new system to get that piece of information. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's a hypothetical scenario. It's super vague. I'm trying to take what I know in concrete terms, bring it up to high level because I can't, you know, like expose these concretions. So, um, right. And so this is, and this is like, we did the whole episode on microservices, but like, this was the general theme of that episode on microservices was like, there are a million places in microservice land where you either need to get everyone on board or you need to have like, you need to be like the, the lone outpost in the wilderness that does things this way. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just like a continuation of the meta problem with microservices. This is like one of the three conversations you have around microservices. (laughs) Like this is one of the main three. Uh, Yep. That you don't realize you're having until you step back and Daniel says, wait a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep. So so let's just say that that conversation went down and they were like, no, no, no. We can't have this concern on the service. We have to change the API signature. We have to uh, we have to acquire new data. So let's just set that as a fixture. That's that's what happened. Um, okay, it's what happened. That's what happened. So now we're in this position. So they call up me with the football service and are like, okay, here's our V2 endpoint. You need to implement the V2 endpoint. Um, how do we? So then, actually, fortunately, they're like, here's one up. We'll write it for you. Like we'll PR this thing into your service. Um, but then there's a lot of back and forth between me and the person writing this PR so that we can get, uh, so basically because this other person isn't used to the system, so I can help them ramp up in the system. And so they're not introducing new styles and 
new approaches into the mm-hmm. system that I'm not kosher with. So we're having all these high level architectural discussions. And basically it comes down to this, like, here's a couple of, here's a, maybe what, what do you think is a good approach to adapting this? So here's the thing. We have a baseball service class and that class is solely yes. responsible for talking to the baseball service, right? Then there's a bunch of tests surrounding it. There's specifically a dedicated baseball service class that actually physically hits the baseball service. Then -hmm. there's like functional tests that hit API endpoints from like view or something. And we mock out the baseball service and all, you know, and then we do have do like dusk tests that test the full stack, you know? Yeah. Right. So what do you think we should do here? So, Tell me a little bit more. So they, football service is the one who's changing their API, right? No, I'm football service. Baseball service is changing or, their API. Sorry, baseball service is the one that's changing their API. Um, yep. Does your, do you like your view components? Uh, do they need to do anything differently because of that? No. Okay. So you leave all of the view component tests that hit API endpoints and mock data, all of that, you leave all of that exactly the same, right? right? Yep. You then, well, okay. And so then all of your, all of your tests for the baseball service class should be the same. They're just going to fail, right? Right. So then you just make them pass. Wait, you're, what do you mean by, what do you mean they're going to fail? Like, Well, they're going to fail if the API structure changes or whatever. Right. Remember, we have to support both. So, oh, you have to support. Yeah. Did I not mention that? That's that's the curveball. Well, that's right. right. This is where this started. You're A/B testing. Right. Some you have to do a check that's like user arrow is on V2 or is on V1. That's it's not as simple as that, but that's essentially the deal. Sure. Well, do you have to do it that way, or? Well, so my thought is like, what if you had an API client, right? Which you basically do that talks to their API, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. And what if you basically had, uh, so, so you had two, um, so you had three classes, right? One is baseball client yep, or baseball service class. Right. And then there's like new baseball service class and old baseball service class. Right. Okay. I gotcha. um, that both extend that baseball service class. Right. right? That's, yep, yep. So the the actual client lives in baseball service class and it's the same for both. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what the maybe one of the things that the client does, like you could do you do some sort of a named constructor or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, you know, basically it spins up a client and makes whatever API request it's told to make. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Uh, and so if that's like get a list of all users or get a list of all baseballs or whatever, um, it goes out and makes that request. And then based on the response, if the response includes the API version or some denotation of like what like what type of data this is, yeah. it just then passes that along to the correct either old or new baseball service class. Right. Yeah. So you're saying sort of... Uh like create all right so right now we have so football like service keep, solely you're saying uh-huh. create a an intermittent class called like sorry you have baseball service so, right we have new and old baseball service that's what we're working with sorry we have basically could you could you currently could you we have one baseball where, service class right in the new paradigm we have a new baseball service class an old baseball service class and a like a root base service class Baseball service uh-huh. class, right. And, right? and so then in my controller, let's say, where I have like a controller method called index, where I say like, mm-hmm. I used to say baseball service class, colon, colon, get all baseballs or something, right? Right. Now that code's the same, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of that class, that old, that baseball service class having the implementation, now that class says, okay, is the user on the new or the old? And then like sort of hot swap, like compose in new or old baseball service class that has the specific endpoints. And, and yeah, actually let's rename these classes because those are bad class names. Okay. So basically what you want is 
baseball service requester, and then two baseball service responders. Baseball service requester and two baseball service responders. Okay, keep going. And so you basically make the request the same way, regardless of which API they're on. Oh, unless the, all the endpoints are changing. Right, they're all changing. Are the yes? Oh, okay. Both Never the responses and work. the requests are changing. Gotcha. I thought it was just that, like no, they, no, you no, know, no, the no. way that the data was formatted no. coming back was true. Okay, so everything's changing. So throw all that away. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So then you have to do what you're doing. Like user is on new system or not? Right. Right. Yeah. So, but basically, the route we ended up taking was well. Here's what I was sort of what my big rooting for thing was. I was like, let's make make it so that we introduce one new class. I kind of, I wanted some idea of like a decorator type thing where the, where when you PR this thing into my code base, you're just PRing like one isolated thing that describes all the changes for this new V2. And you could, and and I want it to be like an onion layer that you could just peel it off and now you're back to the old way. Or you could, you know, surround the app in this onion layer uh, and then now you're V2 compatible, or you can ask and see if the user wants V1 or V2 and put on the layer or take off the layer. And the layer is in charge of transforming the request coming in and the response coming back, you know? Okay. Um, I like that. Right. And so that, that's what I was all about. But then there's like these nitty, then there's this new complexity where that onion layer, that sort of isolated transformation layer has to actually know mm-hmm. something about V1. So it's like, Okay, do you do do you do that? Do you now change you the, the controllers? Two wrapper classes, right? Like there's so there's so many options, and basically we all came into this with different ideas. Like the pull request originally changed the controllers to actually explicitly state v1 and v2, and I saw that and I'm like, oh no 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 no, I just want That's I want you happening. to not touch the controllers at all, so we can maintain all my functional tests, and so just we're not. I don't know, you know, I just want to yep. like yep, yep. swap out don't this thing in the, the background sure. and I'm like, okay, if you need, and then, so then the, the, the conversation is, well, when we phase out V1, then now like we're going to have to change the V2 class because you put all that stuff in V2. And this is what I'm saying. Like you all come in with these opinions and then you, you realize, wait a minute, at the end of the day, no matter what, there's no difference between anything we're saying. Like no matter what, no matter what, you're going to have to change code somewhere. You know, there's there's like small trade-offs in the middle. But no matter what, when that's we, not true. All right, challenge it. Well, Do it. You're you mean you're gonna have to change code somewhere after we phase out the V1. when we phase out V one. The logic that does the switching right now and the transforming and everything is gonna have to be taken out, no matter where it lives. Right, just that though. That's gonna be one line of code. No, no. There's more complicated things. It's dumb. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's why this one's weird. Yeah, that it's not just an obvious, like... The, the curveball is that V2 needs to know things about V1. Like, in different I don't places. think that's true, though, right? It is. Because v, V2... Why? Right, so it's like... And then you could say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, baseball service. Why are you making me have to know both of your implementations, you know? But then baseball service would say, well, you're the only one who knows. You know, oh, I don't know. Okay, here's how I would do it, okay. right? Um, I think I'm back to my original thing of three classes. So you build a wrapper for V2 like you were talking about, yeah. right? But instead of building that wrapper... Um, you build a wrapper around... Oh, you're right. This is the worst... Yeah. Uh, never mind. My idea doesn't work anymore. It's a little bit of a weird one. It's not totally clean. My what I proposed was basically just make a factory that does the swapping at runtime between V1 and V2. And because V2 needs to know something about V1, if you need to return V2, compose it with V1. You know, like pass V1 into V2 so that V2 can do all that stuff inside of itself. And the argument for against that would say well, that's an abstraction on an abstraction. Like, you you could say, one, that's not the concern of V2. Two, when you phase out V1, you're going to have to change V2. It's not just an easy, like, unplug V1 and call it a day. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, at the end of the day, we're going to have to do surgery somewhere. 
at some point, you know, and it really doesn't matter where we do it. It changes the way we write tests, but each one of them has a trade-off. So what if you rewrote your current V1 code and split the concerns between two um, classes, right? Okay. So one... Like, my ideal thing is, like, why don't you just have a class that sits in front that, like... So you have, like, a V1 API class and a V2 API class. And then then one that sits in front of that is the baseball API class. Right. And that... Yeah, right. And that was the third option. I came in with, like, I want a factory that does the swapping, and I don't care if V2 has to know about V1, just throw V1 into V2 at runtime. Then another person was like, I don't like that. Do that switching in the controller... The factory still does the root, like, which one to pass back switch. It's weird. But sometimes it needs to know. Or anyway, do that in the controller so it's explicit. When you read the controller, you know mm-hmm. what's going on so that when... Yeah, right? Cause so you're not abstracting on, a, so on the an logic abstraction. That, the logic that needs to change from V1 to V2, right, mm-hmm. is basically just, like, how do we hydrate classes from API data? Right? Um, I guess... Maybe it's like what what are the names of fields and like what uh, what API endpoints do we hit? But it's like at the end of the day, like if you need to like if you need to like save a baseball dot class or a baseball dot PHP, right? right? Like all you're doing is like going out to whatever endpoint. It may be a different endpoint now and hitting like give me all the baseballs and then like you're getting back baseballs and then you're creating a baseball dot or a baseball class from each of those and the field names are different and the URLs are different, but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the, that process is still the same, right? Right. Let's go with that. I think there might be an exception, but let's go with it. Yes. So basically, right. The baseball API class only needs to be like, all it is is an HTTP client, right? Basically it just like gets and posts and yeah, it does some, tra- does it does some transformations. I think I could be wrong. Right, so that's the thing. Those transformations shouldn't be in that Right, class. they're not. They're not. Yep. They're not in they're that not class. In that so class. that class stays the same except for uh, the request URLs. Right, right. The same except for the... No, yep, I know. It's not like that. I wish it were. That's why this would be... Okay. This would be so easy if it was that easy. And I wish I understood yeah. it better to be able to verbalize it better. But but basically what you're describing is what But what I'm saying is like that that class is response agnostic basically. Right? The response doesn't matter to that class. To which class? <laughs> the wrapper class or the, the No, the baseball service, the one that already the exists. The root the one that already exists. I mean, it spits out a specific response that if we were to introduce a V2, I would want some transformer to change the res- the new response back to the old response so that it doesn't break my Laravel app. What are you doing with these responses? Oh, they go back. They like they'll go out to like view components and stuff. Oh, just the straight responses from the API? Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't do that. You would have a transformer. Yeah, so well you're not isolating your API anymore. Now your API is in your view. Now like this the reason this is a problem, right, is that like this API that like should have been isolated in its own place is like like the whole like don't test other people's no, right, code. Right, it wouldn't thing. change anything though. That's the thing. Right, like that when I when when we were building all this and I think we talked mm-hmm. a lot about this in the early days of TPT, but when we were building all this like like we we came across that decision. Like, do you add a transformer? It feels so right, but it doesn't buy you anything. I keep coming to the same conclusion. None of these things buy you anything. You're just deferring things. You're just moving things around. Yeah. Well, no. You. No, it buys you a lot. Okay. Right. Right. What it buy, so what I was saying earlier the don't t- don't don't test other people's code. Right. Okay. Yep. You currently your view tests test other people's code kind of yep right yep. Mm-hmm. Because, because they know because um, they they depend well they depend on an api structure that can change right yep right mm-hmm. and so you now have to write code to isolate your view tests from that code 
I write code that, that makes sure that the raw response from that actual service matches. Right. Which basically now, so the, and this is the important thing, right? Basically now you're no longer just passing the response from the API onto your view components. You're now passing your own schema onto your view components. And you just happen to have decided that the best schema to pass to your view components is the one that happened to be V1 of this app. So what happens if the actual, let's forget about V2, V1, and let's just isolate it to this this conversation about like, right. and, and just to clarify, so we're all on the same page. Here's the scenario. You have a Laravel uh-huh. app that has a view front right. end and normal like right. Laravel validation and everything. But instead of hitting a database, you hit a microservice, right? right? So you, you take in information from view to a Laravel validator through to a micro, you have a class that's a microservice. You send it to the microservice, you get a response back and then you return that response from a controller method into a view component. Does that sound good? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. I just, I don't think that you should think about this like a database because if it was a database, right. you would control the schema. Right, no, no, no. Yeah, right. I just want to establish where we're starting from here. Like, right, this is much more like a third-party API right. than so let's, a database. So let's talk about that. So let's say, let's say as it is right now, it's all raw. Mm-hmm. Like in the controller, what it takes in from request after it does validating, it just like... It just passes in a, a specific array of data into the microservice, it's specifically right. into the microservice class that pretty much just takes a parameter and shoves it into a URL with Guzzle. And then the response it gets back, it just breaks it. It, it does a re- explicit return in like a method. It'll be like return a view or whatever with and then an array of data, let's say like baseball card name, baseball card date, and then arrow let's just say raw response arrow baseball card name. Next one, raw response sure. arrow baseball card. Okay, right. Does that make sense? Makes okay, sense. so tell me how we can... How, t- first, tell me why this is bad, and then let's figure out how we can make it better or what we buy with Transformers. Sure. So by having... By deciding to own your own... um, To own your own schema, right? Rather than like going raw, right? Yep. Uh, by deciding to like own your own schema and like have have a schema that you control, now less of your tests are dependent on a schema that might change. Okay. So you're you're saying right? Translate that into more like uh, um, I don't know practical benefit terms. Okay, sure. So you are going to have to choose a schema. So at some point, right? You write a view component, and that view component needs to depend on data being in a certain shape and you have yeah. to make well, a let's say my controller in, in my laravel be. controller method let's forget about the view component but it is on the front but we, it doesn't matter so in, in my controller method yes i i take raw i i want to talk about the view components though okay but i, I mean i think I it's an important note that i'm not method. just passing raw response out of my laravel controller into a view component okay sure 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 okay fine yeah, yeah. so you do decide on a schema you just do it in your controller basically right. Um, yeah, so that's the thing, right? So you have a transformer. You just have a transformer in your controller. Your controller is the transformer. Okay, all right. I hear you. All right, so so are we agreeing that introducing a transformer would buy us nothing over writing this sort of explicit or implicit transformer by just... Well, what you told me earlier... Returning, right? Right, right. What you told me earlier is that the original, the original idea yeah. was to have the V1 and V2 in the controller. Why was that the original idea? Here's why. Because the controller is the transformer, right? right? And so that's why when someone wants to change the transformer and there isn't a transformer, they have to change it where it is and it happens to be in the controller. So by putting your transformer in your controller method, mm-hmm. you invited people <laughs> when they need to change the transformer to change the controller method. And now you have like these weird conditional V1 or V2 in your controller I think that's methods, a really good want. way of putting it. I think I think that's that is uh, illuminating. That yeah, because it's like you either are passing raw API data to your view components, right? Which is what I was originally thought you were right. doing, or you have a transformer somewhere in there. And right, right? because I chose this route. And if you're of, gonna have a transformer, give it a class and give it a name. You know, huh? So why why do I give it a class and give it a name? <laughs> So that you don't have to have conditionals in your controller methods. So if I, right, all right. So then if I had this class, 
I would have these conditionals mm-hmm. in this transformer class. Right. Why is that better? It's it's I mean it's just it's a different fine, place for right? because <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, well you're going to you you have conditionals either way though, right? right? Like you always somewhere somewhere in your app you have to say if v1 else if v2. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. uh-huh. So that's all we're talking about is where do I say if? Right. The problem I mean in in real life it's not just if v1 if not v2. In real life it's like hit this endpoint on v1 first. If it works, then hit this endpoint on v2. If that fails, roll back the change on v1. Like it's it's intricate, you know. Um uh-huh. But I hear I mean what you said is brilliant. Is that well, that, you, that that I have an saying, implicit like, transformer? I'm just using my controller as a transformer, as a transformer. so I shouldn't be mad Which, when people want to get all up in my controller's business because that's where my transformer is. If I had chose to put this in a transformer class, I wouldn't be you know whining and crying about no it. No one I would, would be say, in your controllers. It would be like, right. oh well, that you're changing the transformer because it's a new transformation. <laughs> right, 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 and and like and that's the thing is and like it would be really simple to just like uh, like have some sort of a transformer abstract or something. Right, and then you have like a V one transformer and a V two transformer. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. No. But yeah, th- this is the thing. I-, I feel like we've reached the point where like we've talked as much about this as possible without getting into like your weird specificities. Right. Yeah. No. I, f- I feel um, like we're good on it. I feel like we're saturated. I I think it's a good discussion. I feel like um, at the end of the day, he- here maybe here's my thesis statement or my my personal takeaway is that. People have such strong ideas on API transformation and where it should happen and when it should happen and versioning and all of these things. But at the end of the day, you have to do it and you have to do it somewhere and it doesn't matter a ton where you do it. And and the return statement of your controller is probably not the place. I don't know. I think it's pretty sweet, actually. At least for the first implementation, I was like... Well, and that's the thing. I think it's definitely the MVP place to do it, right? I am not a fan of... I'm not an advocate of creating useless transformers. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I think the first place that anyone should do that is in the return statement of their thing, right? When you... If you have, like, less than 10 tests on your app, like, it better be there, you know? Because if not, you're just spinning your wheels, creating too many classes. Yep, right. Right? But at some point especially in like this weird microservice land that you live in like at some point you know that you can't trust your data source yes right but true but i mean the thing is is you're not doing anything differently but putting different stuff in different places even if we were to introduce a transformer with our three class transformer system we got the base transformer the v1 transformer it's just more classes and it's the same logic you're not really buying anything but I will concede this. But your argument, and I think the reason I think you're making this argument, and I think it's a fine argument, right? But it's like, I think we all have like a gut reaction against, uh, you know, against, say, repositories or something like that, Mm -hmm. where, you know, the general feeling is like, right, right. like you're never going to hot swap out your database implementation right, but, but you in might this microservice architecture, uh, you are 100% eventually going to swap out your data source. Right yep. before like the new one's is, finished, there will be a new new one. Right, right, exactly. So it's like, it like if you started building an app knowing a hundred percent that like your MySQL database schema was just going to change a bunch on you, or that like anytime you booted up your app, it was like a fifty fifty chance that like you were going to be running Postgres for the next two months. You know, that feels it feels real to me right now. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, then you would write repositories. We're literally introducing Postgres into... <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that was a fun talk. So, I yeah. just thought of something I wanted to talk about. Can we talk about Let's it? Let's do it. Okay. So the other day, I had to do algebra for work. I haven't had to do algebra in a long time. Okay. Um, but like, it was like this big calculation. Uh, it's an app that's related to cars and like calculating the leases okay. for cars. Uh-huh. And it was this big formula that had like a bunch of variables and there's a situation where like I had to figure out something based on a variable that was on both sides of the equation. So okay. I had to simplify the equation to get that variable. Nice. Basically, you know, it was like solve for X, yep. you know, oh, but yeah. like it was like, you know, 15 X over YG Q. On both sides. 
equals yeah exactly so it's like solve for x uh-huh. um so i was doing algebra and i hadn't done algebra in a while and i definitely hadn't done algebra since i was like you know Fifth. good at programming oh right okay yeah um and so i had never really thought about algebra in terms of programming Ooh. but basically all that algebra is is a bunch of functions being applied to numbers or variables okay right yep. so addition is a function Subtraction is a function. Uh, Multiplication is a function. Raising to a power is a function. Word. Right? And the cool thing about algebra, and the whole reason that algebra works, is that each of those functions has an opposite. Huh. Um, so addition has an opposite. Subtraction has an opposite. Right? So say I have like, well, what, you know, what's the opposite of, uh, yeah, right, multiplication, division, or opposites? <laughs> right, Exactly. Um, and like raising to a power, you have like Rooting, the root right. of something. Damn. Um, Dude. So anyway, and so that's how you balance an equation, right? Is like if something is multiplied by something, you can divide it by both sides and then it cancels out on one side and it, right. it's there on the other uh-huh. side, right? Uh-huh. And so I was about 30 seconds of thinking about this away <laughs> from building arithmetic in PHP. Dude. Um, like building addition, subtraction functions and all of that. Right. Yeah. But here's what I think I just did. I think, and I don't know very much about functional programming. And I think if I knew more about functional programming, I would know that either this is a really good idea or a really bad idea. (laughs) But here's, here's what I'm calling this system of programming. That is almost certainly a bad idea, but like is very intriguing. And I want to talk about it algebraic programming okay, okay? Mm-hmm. you just write functions that transfer that every function is like okay right and every, every function, function has, has a reverse function every function has an opposite right, right. so you create these little uh, we could call them classes right uh-huh say so you create these little classes that are basically just like migrations uh-huh. right where they have an up and a yeah. down yeah, right. method uh <laughs> right and uh just imagine a world right where you had like some crazy data set up, right? Mm-hmm. And, but if all of your code was just written using these functions that have opposites, you could solve for any piece of data just by like doing, like you could write a little script that like would be smart enough to like figure out what functions it needed to do in reverse to what to solve for any piece of data. Wait, wait, wait. Break that part down for me. <laughs> Sure. I was tracking until well, like, until so the part where it all with algebra. Yeah, okay. With algebra, yeah. any true statement, right? Right? Yep. You can basically solve and that's not true for any statement, but it's like you can basically like by a series of like doing mathematical equations to both sides of a, right. an operation, you can solve for something. Yep. Right? Yeah. So say I knew something along by the just lines moving of like, okay, things like over example, right? by mo- by t- isolating the variable and like moving everything over to the other side by applying like by eliminating all the things on one side with the reverses of the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Right. Um. So what if I had something right where it was like uh, names variable names equals uh array split full name right yep and so mm-hmm. I, I end up with like an array of first name and last name right right yeah right uh-huh and um by splitting that right right but say i don't have a first name right i don't have a first name anymore i just mm. have like this full name field mm-hmm. right so what i would currently do is say like first name equals names a zero right yep but what i could do instead Right is say something along the lines of like, uh, oh man, now I'm confusing myself. Oh man, I had this example locked down. All right, well, let's, let's step it. through it. So the first, the first statement, okay, is is mm-hmm. a full name, money sign full name equals uh-huh. money sign full name. No, money sign names. Money side. Money sign name. No, I like full name. Let's get uh, okay. semantic. Money sign full name. Uh, money okay. sign full name equals implode uh, money sign names, comma, 
space, space. comma space. Right. Is the space the second oh, parameter yeah, yeah, in implode? Right. I always forget, and I think it's the first, which is weird, but either way, let's go. Uh, either way. Okay, no, so that's not exactly right, right? So the two functions we're doing are... Because um, we, we need these to actually be functions. Right, so full name right? of phi and default name of phi. Yeah, okay, so... Uh, yeah, generate full name from names and generate names from full yeah. name. Let's call it okay. that. Um, so those are our two functions, right? And then uh, we would have like a generate first name from names. Oh, but that's right, not no. reversible. Right. Yeah. You'd need generate first name from full name and last name. Yeah, but that's still not reversible, right? You can't reverse that function. What do you mean? You can't say generate first name and last name from first name. Generate first name and last name. Right, Say but I need did, a function that just gets the first right. Well, that name. wouldn't be the function. The the that function, that third function we described, would be the isolating of the one variable to solve. You know, you only have the two functions, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's not like you have addition, subtraction, and then like addition, subtraction. <laughs> true, yeah. true, true. But I, I like where you're going okay. with it. I mean, I feel like. But do you kind of get? Do you get the weird buzz in your belly? I about get the it? buzz in like, my belly. Oh. I just don't get the the clear the moment of clarity. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. Totally. Absolutely. Like um, I feel. I feel. I'm like this. This is something. Every function something. you write, you write an inverse function so that you can like I don't know do anything you want anywhere. <laughs> Oh, but why? I don't know. But, don't know. Like, <laughs> but if nothing more, it's a great way to look at algebra. It'd be. A re- I feel like it would be like a really cool, like little node app. Like this feels very JavaScript to me for some reason. You know, or I guess it would make even more sense if you did it like in like Elm or Elixir right. or something, right? Yeah. Where like you're writing all you're writing is functions anyway. So while you're at it, you may as well like write inverse functions. Right, you might as well. Oh man, I really wish I had the mental capacity to come up with something useful related to this right now. Oh man, it'd be so cool though, right? It would be awesome if one of us just whipped out how this could apply to our everyday lives. It would be sick. (laughs) That would be so cool. (laughs) Wouldn't it be cool if this was really cool, is what we're saying. (laughs) Oh oh uh, anyway yeah that was just like a weird little brain bug i've had for a day or two because i was doing algebra that's a really good like, one i really like yeah. that <laughs> like what if all functions just had opposites man uh, man i really hope that i hope logan listens to this and then tells us he'll know something about functional programming we'll go, oh yeah that's uh yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's what haskell is i know you guys have heard a lot about haskell <laughs> yep Oh. oh, that guy knows too much. Too much. How does he know so much? I don't know, man. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, I feel like I should know more. Yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hear people talk. I'm like, yep. How do you know so much? What What are you reading? Yeah, I should, How often do you read? I should know more. Yeah, you read. You read a lot. You must read a lot. Hey, you are you like reading a lot? <laughs> it seems like you've been reading. Hey, hey, uh, hey, bro, hey, bro. You you read a lot? That, that's me in like architectural meetings. Oh. I'd be like, what what? What do you mean? What do you mean hexagonal? What? You, yeah, right. You you, there, you reading? There? <laughs> There is a list of words that we should just all agree to not say or should be standard issue mm-hmm. with, like, I don't know, any programming job. And I think hexagonal <laughs> should be one programming, step one. I think we should put hexagonal on that list. Yeah, hexagonal is terrible. Along with, like... I'm, I said repository on this episode, but I'm getting pretty close to the point where I don't want to hear about repositories or services anymore. Yeah, the repositories thing's a funny one. I feel like... You know how everybody has said, like, uh, everybody, the Laravel community, spearheaded by, uh, I'll say Jeff Way, um, 
because that's where I sort of started hearing about the... That's where I was exposed to naysaying on repositories. And all he was doing was balancing out the conversation and saying, hey, I'm not saying these are bad. Just before you reach for the repository, because it's what you do, you probably don't need it. Think twice about it. Start here, then maybe move mm-hmm. to that, right? Like that That was the whole thing. But now that's yep. become like the predominant feeling towards repositories in in my echo chamber, at least, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. repositories is like a, a pejorative term, you know? Am I right? Yeah, but but it, uh, you are right. Right, so where am I going with this? Uh, I don't know. Where I'm going with it is I was recently in a scenario where, like like I described, repositories, where I'm working right now, at, at in certain contexts, repositories are actually warranted. And I saw one and immediately dismissed it. Like, oh, pshaw, architecture astronaut. Mm-hmm. Like, pshaw, this is so... This is so classy, mm-hmm. you know, this is so overkill, right. but it's totally not because you actually are switching database implementations Data and you actually, yeah. right. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I don't know what my point is, but my point is, can we talk about factories? Why are people using them? Fact, so I much. like factories. Or not using them, calling them that. That's my bigger thing. What, what should we call them? I, I, this is funny in the, the code review I just got out of. Literally right before this this call, I kept calling it hot swapper, <laughs> like not for, just accidentally. Then I realized like either people don't know what I'm saying and they're like, why is he calling it a hot swapper? And then I, I was trying to call it factories, but you know I was like, yeah, well you know you got your hot swapper and you call your hot swapper, but yeah, why, mm-hmm. why don't they? So what are you suggesting that we drop the term factory or we replace it with something more funzy, like hot swapper? Or, like, domain-specific. And it's not always a hot you know? swapper, which is why. <laughs> right. It's not always right. a hot swapper, that's for sure. But uh, um, <laughs> No, but it, I just, uh, I feel like any time, like, a class generates another class, it's called a factory. You know? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. We, why don't we have better names for these things? Right. Uh, yeah. Sometimes... This is this is totally full circle here, but sometimes the generic name is just another way to not have to make a name. Yep. No, we've definitely done an episode. This is about like this. I mean we did, but on the other Factor- side of things. Factory is the new data. But uh right, but I, I'm sort of rooting for factory this time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. because think about think I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into your app. I'm gonna go into your app one day when your your finance your secret finance app that you're working on, right? I'm gonna come look at your code. And it's all gonna be it's all gonna be data data factory one, data factory hot swapper two. Yes. Yes. It's gonna be making data. Factories making data. Transforming data into the factories and out to the the service. Repositories, yeah. Repositories. <laughs> yep. Now it's true. Yes. But but for real, like Think about it. Here's here's the evolution from that to this. Is you go, ooh, names for everything because everybody's writing like factory service class provider. Name it. Like find mm-hmm. to say what it does. Name it, right? Now you have now you're faced with like this problem of having to name things, which can often be good, but also can be bad. Like sometimes is it better to introduce a new name that's not per like if you don't have the perfect name. Uh, don't use it. Right. right. If you don't have the perfect game name, use, use, factory use factory if you don't have a better name and for sure. even if you don't have, sometimes, sometimes it's the right thing to do. You know? Like you don't have, yeah. <laughs> it's like temporary variables. Like when you get rid of a temporary variable, you remove the need to name a new thing mm-hmm. and it's, your life is just easier. Your code is clearer. Sometimes. Asterisks. Yeah. Sometimes. Factory is a way okay. to do that with names. Like, oh, just here's an app I want to make with you. Okay, Caleb, I want the two of us to work on the following app, and here's what it is. Right. So there's all these car companies, right? Right. And they've got all these factories, right? And uh, <laughs> as factories become more advanced and more automated, and robots are replacing more and more of the jobs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of custom code that is written for. Uh, each individual factory, mm-hmm. right? Because not all factories are the same. And there's little bits of code that are written for each factory. Right. Um, and those are all stored in Git repositories. Um, so what I would like to do is, in the interest of knowledge sharing between various car factories, I would like to build with you a factory repository provider. 
um, which provides the repositories for the various factories to other factories. Um, and I'd like to sit down with you and think through the domain language for I the would, app factory repository I would provider. Love that we that, that would, would be, be so fun. That would be a good time just for sport to like. <laughs> Really come up with a domain or like that would be a good hazing tactic for a new intern at Titan. Like, here's your new client. <laughs> they have here's the just, the DSL. Like GM, the DSL right? is like, like General factory, Motors and they have a bunch repository, of repository class. That's what I ran into with this fancy finance machine I'm making. I just uh mm-hmm. I just dropped the name there. Um the fancy finance machine, one of the entities is accounts. And the mm-hmm. other entity above accounts is class. That's the grouping. And you named a class class. You can't. So that that was something I learned, and uh, yeah. and that was extremely frustrating. And I don't know what I'm saying here, other I than bet. like I sat here defeated. At you know yeah, I had already mapped all this out, like this? and I'm sitting there, just just sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, We should, uh, you know what we should do? We should create, uh, and I think we should wrap up after this, but uh, we should create a, uh, some sort of like an organization that goes out and trains people who aren't programmers not to use uh, protected terms in everyday language uh, so that we can not have these namespace problems. And uh, I I think the way that we... Like an underground, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right. So I think the way that we should probably go ahead and do that is to uh... and a big shout out to Jared White for providing this music. <laughs>